0: The title of the sermon this morning is More Parables, More Parables. Uh, Last week, uh, Jesus uh, gave to us a parable of the soil. And this morning in Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through uh, 34, we're going to see four more parables uh, that Jesus uh, will give to us to reveal different things about the kingdom of God. Last week in the parable of the soils, we saw that Jesus intended to shed light on why different groups within the crowds rejected him and what he said about God's kingdom. And uh, from the parable of the soils, we see that the, the reason people were rejecting him is that they were not good hearers. Uh, that is, they were not good soil. Uh, for some of them, the text says that Satan came along and uh, robbed, or, or Satan came along like a bird and and, and got this, the seed before they were even able to understand it. They took Jesus's words before Jesus, before they could even comprehend what he was saying. For others, uh, the text says in the parable of the soils that uh, tribulation and persecution pushed them away uh, from their commitment to the word. And finally, for others, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches eventually choked out the word in their lives. So that they bore no fruit. Well, the largest of Christ's parables, I think, should be a challenge to us, verses 1 through 20. And um, it should challenge us to be good soil, ready to obey God's voice and to obey his words. Uh, this past week, I've really rejoiced in many conversations that I've had with some of you about how God used the text of Scripture in your own heart, in your own life, your commitment to be good soil, that it's ready and eager to hear and obey the words of Christ. I do think God is doing some good things, and so I, I look forward to this, and it's, it's my prayer that we would be genuine, that we would be good soil, that there be no one under the sound of my voice uh, who would not uh, be good soil. Well, the parable of the soils is, as I said, not the only parable that Jesus gives to explain why he has been rejected uh, by some within the crowds. In verses 21 through 34, Mark records four other parables about how people respond to Jesus. In my opinion, these four parables are organized into two groups of two. And so uh, while the parables are very brief, I think that there's a powerful message in each one. And so I'd like to work through these two groups of two, starting with the parable of the lamp and then the parable of the measure in verses 21 through 25. Let's look at the parable of the lamp in verse 21. It says, And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus' words here about the lamp and a lamp stand and other pieces of furniture come in three forms. He starts with a proverb in verse 21. (coughs) He attaches to that a brief explanation, and then he gives a command. And so in verse 21, you see the proverb. Now, the proverb is a little bit difficult for us to understand for a few reasons. I think it's difficult, first of all, because we're moderns, and some of these pieces of furniture we might not immediately resonate with. He talks about a lamp, a basket, a bed, and a lampstand. And so I just want to briefly walk down through these pieces of furniture so that we can understand what's going on. First, when he says or talks about a lamp, he's talking about a clay lamp that would be filled with oil to provide light to a room or outdoors. So this is a clay, cl- clay lamp filled with oil. The basket is a basket or a bucket that could hold approximately two gallons, two gallons of water or of some grain or something. The bed was actually an elevated dining couch. It'd just be a few feet off of the ground. It would be normally found in a room where people would eat. And of course, it it would allow you to recline on the couch as you eat. That sounds like a good piece of furniture for us to reintroduce, right? Uh, Into our homes, the dining couch or the bed. And then finally, you've got the lampstand, which was simply a, a stand on which a lamp would be hung or set. And so the imagery of, in this proverb, verse 21, is of a lamp being brought in. And I, I think perhaps this is just a general illustration about bringing a lamp into a house. And the point is, you don't light a lamp and bring it into a dark room only to conceal it under a bucket or hide it under a couch. It's very interesting to me that in Matthew's gospel, he will use this illustration, a light and a basket, or light and a bushel could also be translated like a bushel basket. Matthew uh, has Jesus using the metaphor to encourage believers to be a light for Christ. Maybe you know the old children's song, This Little Light of Mine. Okay, we won't sing it together, but that would be fun. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. And then you get to you know, our favorite verse. Well, not our favorite, but one of our favorite. Hide it under a bushel. I was waiting for you. Come on, see your t- hide it under a bushel. No, that's better. Okay, you're awake. Okay, uh, one way that Jesus uses the illustration of a lamp and a bushel is to encourage believers that they are to be the light of the world, and so on. So that's in Matthew's gospel in the Sermon on the Mount. Mark actually describes this or uses this illustration in a different way that Jesus explains with and applies with the imagery found in verse 22. So get down down into your Bible in verse 22. Um, It says, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Now you can see that Jesus is moving on to an explanation in verse 22 with the very first word. It's the word translated for in your Bible. Okay, so this is what he's doing. He gives the proverb. Here's the proverb of a lamp and a lampstand and a bushel and so on. And now he's going to explain it. He actually will do the same exact thing in the next illustration. So if you have a, a Bible, most English Bibles will put the word for at the beginning of verse 25 as well. Uh, there's one I saw that didn't. Uh, it's, it's the NIV. But most English translations, if you look at verses 24 and 25, you have a parallel arrangement. You've got the proverb about a measure in verse 24, and then you've got an explanation at the beginning of verse 25. He's gonna tell us exactly what he means with the proverb, so he gives us the word for. Having he said that up in verse 22, uh, Jesus's explanation is that hidden things will be made manifest and secret things will come to light. And so he's using this parable of a lamp and a lampstand to say that hidden and secret things will be brought and made uh, or brought out into the light. But uh, one of the difficult things is we don't know exactly what Jesus is talking about. We look at verse 22, and if if we're to ask, you know, what hidden things uh, will be revealed by a lamp? His answer is nothing, for nothing, and then anything, okay, which aren't especially uh, clear for us. If I were to look at the greater context, I think what Jesus might be talking about is up, you can see up in verse 22, there's something secret that Jesus is revealing, or I'm sorry, verse 12. There's something secret that Jesus is revealing. In verses 11 and 12, he talks about the secret of the kingdom of God. Okay. Now, another way of getting to the heart of this first parable or illustration would be to ask the question, what does the lamp represent in this parable? What or who does the lamp represent? And I agree with one New Testament scholar, his name is William Lane, and he says that the lamp simply represents Jesus. Jesus is the lamp. It's the way this illustration would go, just as a man lights a lamp so that it can shed light in a room, God sent Jesus to shed light on the nature of the kingdom of God. Okay, and so being one of the first of the kingdom parables that Jesus gives here, Mark is suggesting that Jesus came to reveal light about himself and about the kingdom. So in case the reader thinks that Jesus is only covering and hiding different things by using kingdom parables, this first parable is simply that Jesus is actually like a lamp who will shed light on the things of God. That leads him to give an imperative in verse 23 or command. Since Jesus is like a lamp shedding light on the kingdom of God, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. I mean, the command is simply something like this. Jesus is saying, listen to what I have to say. Listen to what I have to say. All people should listen to Christ because he is like a lamp that brings light to the things of God. As I said, I think that the first parable, the parable of the lamp, functions in tandem or works with the second parable, the parable of the measure. And so I want you to look with me at verses 24 and 25 at the second parable, the parable of the measures. It says, and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. It's very interesting to me that you have a short parable, but it comes in the same exact three forms. Although in this case, the imperative or the command is at the beginning. In the last parable, the command was at the end. Here it's at the beginning. After the imperative or the command, there's another proverb And it's followed by a word of explanation. And so Mark helps us to understand the nature of this proverb quite well. So he starts with the imperative at the beginning of verse 24. He said to them, pay attention to what you hear. And that's quite similar to the imperative he had just given to them. If you have ears to hear, let them hear. Now he says, pay attention to what you hear. He's basically saying, you need to pay attention to the parable I'm going to give you about the measure. That leads to the proverb which occurs at the end of verse 24. Uh, the proverb says this, he says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. Well, what does that proverb mean? Okay, now what's interesting about this proverb, you know, the, the same measure you use being used against you, that proverb is one that Jesus often used throughout the gospels. I found it in a few different places, and it's used by Jesus in different ways. In one of the other Gospels, this proverb is used in a context of judgment or judging, and so the point in the other Gospel is basically, you know, the way you judge is how you will be judged in return. Yeah, okay, you ever heard it used like that? The, way, the, the measure you use in judgment is the measure that will be used against you. That's like only fair and right judgment, right? Okay, and there is a gospel that uses it that way. In this text, I think it's used in a different way as well, and we can figure out the different way by looking at the word of explanation in verse 25, For Jesus tells us exactly what he's trying to do, and Mark tells us what he's trying to do with this parable in this context. So verse 25, for to the one who has more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. I think the point of the parable in Mark's gospel has to do once again with hearing the words of Christ. Hearing the words of Christ about the kingdom. As one scholar said, he said the proverb here serves to encourage careful hearing because, and listen to what he says. He says, because the care expended in understanding and responding to Jesus will be proportionately rewarded. He says it very simply later on. He says, what you get out of them depends on what you put in. So with this parable of the measure that you use being the measure that's used against you, I think what he's saying is, you know, the measure you give The amount of diligence that you give to hear and respond well to the words that I am teaching to you is the measure that will be given to you. And so Christ directly applies this to two different ways people might listen to him. If you give diligence to listen to Christ's words, you will be given understanding proportionate to your diligence. And even beyond that, for the text says, and still more will be added to you. That is, God's generosity to you will go beyond equality. You will receive abundantly in excess. However, if you are an unfruitful listener to the words of Christ that he's proclaiming in these parables, you should feel threatened because the text says, even what you have, that is, what understanding of Christ you've been able to come to, even that will be taken away if you are an unfruitful listener to the words of the Son of God. And so I think these first two parables, as I summarize the, the parable of the lampstand and the measure, are meant to be taken together. Jesus sheds light on the kingdom. He's like a lamp. So listen well, apply yourselves. And if you do, you will receive abundantly in excess. In excess. So I, I think what Jesus is doing in the kingdom parables, I think he's starting with incentive, with incentives. To, uh, to listen to him well. It's like someone standing at the front or you know, saying some group, says, trust me. You really need to listen to what I'm just about ready to say. That's what Jesus is doing with with these two parables. He's saying, listen, I'm like a lamp shedding light on God's kingdom. You need to pay attention. And if you do, the measure you use will be the measure you get and even more. God will add these things to you. After looking at the, the parable, the lamps and the measures, Mark combines two separate seed parables in verses 26 through uh, 32. And so I want to look at them this morning as well. I, these two seed parables, I think, are meant to be pulled together. They're similar vocabulary, and I think the lessons come like parable one and two. It's like A plus B equals the lesson. Okay, and so in parables three and four, we look at the two seed parables, and then we'll see what Jesus' main point and apply it to our lives. So first we look in verses 26 through 29 at what I'm going to call the scattered seed parable. Never saw a real good title for it. Um, that's the best I can do. The scattered seed parable. Look in your Bible, at verse 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is, if, uh, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises, night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. In This first parable here about the seeds, Jesus tells of a man who scattered seeds that do not produce immediate results. And so we learn a few different things. We First, could look at the farmer or the sower. The farmer in this analogy really doesn't do much. He plants seeds and then what does he do? You look down in your Bible and, and what, does, what does he do after he plants? He, he goes to sleep and he wakes up in an ongoing cycle. He sleeps and rises, sleeps and rises, sleeps and rises. Now, farmers might do actually do a little bit more than that, but the point of this illustration is not to talk to you about the farmer. At the very end, he will harvest, but the farmer doesn't do much. He, he, he sows and sleeps and rises. The seed, however, sprouts and grows and the earth or the ground produces by itself and the crop grows until it's finally harvested. Now the way, the way this crop grows, the text says, is it starts out very small as a blade, a small blade of, of grass or of wheat and then, then an ear and then within the ear of wheat or whatever, there is grain that's found in the ear. One of the interesting things that I found in, in these kingdom parables in Mark's Gospel is this is the only place in the whole account where we learn anything about the growth of the kingdom of God, because I think he's using this for an analogy. This is telling us a little bit about growth of the kingdom, uh, but this is the only place again where I think it's it's there, yet uh, even though we have this you know this analogy a blade than an ear than a grain in the ear we're not really told anything about how the kingdom of god is going to grow just that it does i think the point here he's making is that the kingdom will start from very humble beginnings and it will lead to a full harvest again what i've been trying to say is that jesus's point is not to articulate how the kingdom grows necessarily that's not his main point he's not you know Telling us, answering some of the questions many of us would have about the kingdom of God. I mean, you know, is it a slow, steady growth, or is this, or is this like this amazing thing that happens in the future where the kingdom comes on the scene, or, or is it something else? Jesus doesn't tell us here. He does not give us his whole kingdom theology. Yet, I think Jesus had a kingdom theology. I think Jesus knew exactly what he and both God, he and God the Father believed about the kingdom of God. He doesn't give us his whole kingdom theology in this text. He simply states that somehow, some way, the kingdom will result in a full harvest in this text. And so if the main emphasis in the text is not on how the kingdom will grow, it seems instead to teach an important lesson I would just summarize with, it's teaching a period of inaction. Jesus explains that the scattered, in the scattered seed parable, that we might not think, if we're like the farmer, that anything's really actually going on. Now, before we draw lessons with this parable, I want to connect it to the parable that follows right after, the parable of the mustard seed. And so let's look at verses 30 through 32. Parable of the mustard seed. And he says, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Here in this analogy, Jesus speaks of a specific kind of seed a mustard seed, which he describes as the smallest of all seeds. Uh, Of course, they in their culture would understand the mustard seed to be so small, almost microscopic. And he describes how this small seed grows up into an incredibly large bush. So large, in fact, that he says birds of the air take refuge in his branches. Now, I don't think Jesus necessarily has anything any hidden meaning with the word birds here. I mean, commentary is kind of going crazy on what the birds might represent. I don't think that's a point of uh, this parable. Again, in this text, Jesus does not tell us how the kingdom, if this is an illustration for the kingdom, the mustards he grows to the mustard plant. He doesn't tell us how it will grow. He doesn't tell us how the kingdom will grow as well. Instead, he simply, I think, is contrasting the size of the seed, small, with the size of the mustard plant. The small seeds blossom into something enormous. Now, to draw the main points of parables three and four about the seeds, i just review for a moment. The point of the scattered seed was to emphasize an apparent inaction in the kingdom. Jesus says it might not look like much is really going on. The point of the fourth parable adds to that. The parable describes the insignificance of the start of the kingdom, it's like a little insignificant seed, and the significance of the end of Jesus' kingdom. It's like this large mustard plant. It will blossom and it will produce. So now, as we begin thinking about how this might relate to us, I start first with Jesus' original audience. Jesus does not want his followers who are surrounding him this day to lose confidence. The seeds of the kingdom of God have been sown, and it will produce an inevitable, abundant harvest. It's going to happen. So don't lose heart. Now, as Mark records this for his audience, I think these parables will also have a very important uh, point. Mark is writing to encourage Roman believers who are enduring persecution and experiencing rejection from their culture. Now, to these Christians who are being punished by a powerful Roman kingdom, I'm sure they would have a lot of questions. Christ's kingdom might not look very impressive to them. I mean, they might have wondered or asked some questions. By their time in the mid 60s AD, Jesus's followers were not really that large. I mean, his whole ministry began on the outskirts of some Galilean villages with a few thousand people, but it never really rose to a major physical enterprise. And not to mention the fact that many of those people, many of the crowds, many of the hundreds or thousands of people who gathered around Jesus throughout his earthly ministry ended up rejecting him, right? And crucifying him. And so Mark assures Roman believers, that they can still be confident. And I think when we think of Jesus, we think of like power, the kingdom of God, thousands of people around him, but he'd been rejected by many people. And I think Roman believers living far away from Jerusalem might be be asking, didn't Jesus say something about a kingdom? And so Mark assures them, you can still be confident. The seeds have been sown. God's kingdom will produce an abundant harvest. I want to suggest that these kingdom parables are good for us as well. We can use the encouragement of these parables as well. Perhaps this morning you've listened closely today to the light that comes from Christ's lamp, the light he sheds on the nature of the kingdom of God. And you've seen that although it has humble beginnings, and there's apparent inaction, one day there will be an inevitable abundant harvest, like that little seed turning into this massive plant. I think it's so easy for us in our world today as well to lose spirit when things are not going well we're surrounded by sin in our culture. Wicked sin, I mean, sometimes they just quit reading the news, both local and national and international. So burdened and grieved by the significance of sin in our culture, I think what Jesus says here about the inevitable, eventual end of the kingdom of God will encourage us to persevere. I think of many within our body who are enduring significant trials, significant trials, physical trials, physical testing, trials in relationships with people they love who've rejected them. I think what Jesus says about the kingdom will encourage us as well. This week, I was reminded of how believers can lose heart by reading the testimony of Adoniram Judson. Judson was a pioneer missionary to Burma. Adoniram Judson once fell into such a great depression um, that he said he did not uh, even know if God was there. It was uh, during an event, uh, his wife was on a boat, he was removed from his wife, and while she was on this this boat out to sea for months, she lost their uh, unborn child. And so when she came back, you know, losing this child, seeing his wife sick, he was greatly depressed, so he wrote this in his journal. Judson said, God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but I do not find him. Later, when, when Judson finally made it to Burma, he ministered there for his first seven years without any external fruit. No people were converted as a result of his ministry. So in his journal, he steadied himself with a reminder of Christ's coming kingdom. His, reserve can be found, his, his uh, resolve can be found in the following words. He said this. He said, in spite of sorrow, loss, and pain, our course will be onward still. Then he wrote, we sow on Burma's barren plain, we reap on Zion's hill. Perhaps you're here this morning as a follower of Christ and you feel that you are sowing on a barren, dry plain. It's my prayer that the inevitable abundant harvest of the kingdom of God, future kingdom of God, will inspire you to keep on hearing and obeying the words of Christ and living in light of the kingdom of God. Let's pray together as we close. As we come before you this morning, Father, we want to thank you first of all For the light, Jesus, the lamp, who revealed to us things about your kingdom. Lord, there are many parables in this text, and some are difficult to interpret and to know how to understand and how to apply. But it is our desire, God, that, as you told us to pray in the Sermon on the Mount, It's our desire that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We desire that Jesus would soon come to rescue the church and then later to establish his rule on this planet. So, Father, as we come before you this morning, I would pray that you would deepen our confidence that we will all one day experience the kingdom with Christ. Father, for those within the assembly who perhaps feel like Judson, that they're sowing on a barren plain, no fruit, difficulties, trials, loss, I pray that they would be reminded that one day, one day, your kingdom on this world will blossom and, fur- and, and, and flourish like the greatest tree. Lord, would you deepen our faith and belief that Jesus is a king. And one day his kingdom will come in full fruition. In Jesus' name we pray.